Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia for this Trinity Sunday. We are in ordinary time, the longest season in the life of the church, all the way from Pentecost until Christ the King Sunday, right before Advent. Uh, it is a joy and a privilege to be worshiping with you today through the strange thing that is the internet, whether you're joining us on Facebook, on our YouTube. It is a great privilege and a joy to be able to be here in this place and to lead us uh, in worship as we listen to what God has to say to us about who we are and whose we are today. I want to share a few announcements with you about the comings and goings of Cokesbury Church. We continue to offer a Wednesday Bible study at 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. If you'd like to participate, join. You can find out more on our website or on our church Facebook page. We're sending out devotionals throughout the week, ways that you can think about Scripture while you're at home or returning to work and those sorts of things. Again, more information can be found on our church website. Uh, the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church is starting to uh, not completely wrestle with, but think about what it means for churches to re-enter into in-person worship. Uh, churches across the conference are going to be beginning that process uh, toward the latter part of June, but churches in Northern Virginia are not doing the same because we have more cases of COVID-19 up here than they do in other parts of the state. We are going to continue offering online worship uh, as long as is necessary to maintain the safety and the health and the well-being of our church community and the community around us. I will uh, do whatever I can to share information with you about what it looks like for us to re-enter in-person worship uh, whenever that becomes uh, available. I've been thinking this week a lot about what's been going on uh, in our local community and uh, particularly in our nation, and I was led back to James Baldwin's uh, The Fire Next Time. This is a phenomenal book. I commend it to any of you who are watching today if you haven't watched it before. Uh, it's very, very short and pretty brief, and so I reread it this week, and I came across this part, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. Uh, Baldwin writes, Time catches up with kingdoms and crushes them gets its teeth into doctrines and rends them, time reveals the foundations on which any kingdom rests, and eats at those foundations, and it destroys doctrines by proving them to be untrue. Uh, this week has shown that the kingdom of America is certainly uh, pulling at the seams, that things that rest at the foundations of what we think are true are beginning to be shown to be untrue. One of the things that a lot of people don't like to think about, particularly if you're like me, which is to say, if you're white, is that uh, the kingdom of America is founded on a lie. That is, that all people are created equal. Uh, that is certainly not the case in the United States of America. Uh, all you need to do is look at a handful of statistics to know that it's wildly untrue. Uh, black bodies are incarcerated at a far higher rate than white bodies. Black bodies are given punishments in school at far worse uh, categories than those of their white counterparts. Uh, it's almost ridiculous to think that one of the premises of our country is that all people are created equal when that is just clearly not the case. So Baldwin, I think, reminds me, reminds us, perhaps, that uh, time begins to show how what we premise ourselves and things upon can be torn and rendered differently. I also bring this up because we're starting today a new sermon series on the kingdom, uh, the parables of the kingdom from Jesus. Uh, for the kingdom that we live in as Christians, our citizenship 
uh, is in heaven. It's different than what, uh, let's say, the citizenship of America or any other nation state might be. Uh, it means that as Christians, we hold ourselves and one another to different standards than what the people around us or even the nation around us does. Uh, so I think it's uh, important for us to think about the different kingdoms we find ourselves in and ask ourselves with which one we owe our allegiance. Uh, I think Baldwin would help us to see uh, that there are um, all kingdoms of the world are founded upon uh, the brutalization of particular peoples, but the kingdom of God is founded on a different principle, and that is that God scatters seed wherever God wants and will never, ever stop but I'm getting ahead of myself. So thank you for joining us for worship today. I encourage you as you're able, if uh, using an online bulletin is helpful, there's a link in the description of the video that you can pull up. It has our scripture, hymns, uh, all those sorts of things. So if that's helpful for you, you can pull it up. Otherwise, uh, find a comfortable position, perhaps rest your eyes, close them for a moment, and let's just go to God in silent prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Would you please pray with me? Lord, kindle, we pray, in every heart the true love of peace, Guide with your wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of this earth, that in tranquility your dominion may increase until the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love, of your grace, and of your mercy. Now, O Lord, each of us will lift up to you our own joys and concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew in the 13th chapter. You can follow along with the online bulletin, or uh, you can hear this from the New Revised Standard Version. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen! A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some feet, seeds fell on the path, and birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Then the disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, much more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've been joking every week that we've been doing online worship in this fashion that I'm a Methodist, which means I don't know how to worship without singing something. The hymn for today is number 657 from our hymnal, This Is The Day. Uh, The words are pretty simple, but if you would like to follow along with them, you can find the words for the online bulletin. Uh, But join me. I'm going to head over to the drums, and we're going to do This Is The Day. Listen, a sower went out to sow. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus wasn't a very good storyteller. Forgive me, Lord, but it's true. He wasn't a very good storyteller. You know, stories... They're supposed to have a beginning. They're supposed to have a middle and an end. Stories are supposed to be, you know, easily teach us something about ourselves we didn't know until the story told us about who we were. Stories are supposed to be approachable and repeatable and memorable. But Jesus' stories, and we call them parables in the church, they're certainly memorable, but not for the right reasons. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus said nothing except in parables. And the more we enter into the strange new world of the Bible, the more we realize that Jesus himself was a parable, the storyteller become the story. We often forget in our ivory towers of our own designs that Jesus was killed for telling the kind of stories that he told. Most of them are wildly unfair. They raise up the lowly, they bring down the mighty, they give the whole kingdom away for nothing, and mostly 
They make us uncomfortable. If Jesus were a better storyteller, the stories would have made a little more sense. People would have walked away knowing exactly what he was trying to say, and certainly no one would have killed him for the stories he told, but they did. We did. Most sermons, not stories, they do their best to explain something. They take a particular text, they wave it around for a while, and then in the end they say, Hear now the meaning of the scripture for today, or this is how you can apply the scripture to your daily life. But Jesus, you know the Lord, he rarely explains anything. Instead, he just loves to tell stories. That Jesus speaks in parables is a reminder that he desired not to explain things to our satisfaction, but to call to our attention the unsatisfactoriness of all of our previous explanations and understandings. In other words, Jesus' parables are designed to pop every single circuit breaker in the minds of his listeners. That means us. Now, up until this point in the gospel story, that is, up until the watershed parable of the sower, Jesus has been fairly content with walking and talking and healing and doing whatever it was he was doing that went against the grain of what people were expecting. You know, they had their own ideas of what the Messiah would do, and Jesus didn't really give a flip what they were hoping for. And all that was pretty low-key up until this parable, but from this point forward, Jesus, he cranks it up to 11, it's as if the whole time doing the ministry thing for a while, he says to himself, you know, they haven't really understood much of this kingdom stuff so far, so far, so I might as well capitalize on it. Maybe I should start thinking up particular examples of how profoundly the true messianic kingdom differs from what all these people are looking for. Listen. Jesus went out for a nice stroll by the sea, but there were so many people clamoring to see him to catch a glimpse of the walking, talking Messiah that he had to get into a boat, push off from the shore a little bit in order to address the crowds who were waiting to hear what he had to say. And this is what he said. Hey, there was a guy. He had a bunch of seeds. And everywhere he went, he threw the seeds all over the place. Some of the seeds, they fell in the open ground. Birds came and ate them. Other seeds landed on the rocks. There wasn't much soil. They sprung up a little bit, but then the sun scorched them away. Some of the seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and grew and choked out all the seeds. And some of them fell on good soil, and they brought forth grain, a lot of it. If you can hear me, listen. That's it. That's the whole parable right there. You know, just about every sermon I've read or heard on the parable of the sower retells the story like I just did, and then it asks people like you to consider what kind of soil you think you have. Do you have rocky soil? Do you have thorny soil? Do you have open soil? Or do you have the good soil that's ready for the seed? Which implies that the preacher of a sermon like that one believes he or she knows exactly what Jesus is up to with this one. Moreover, preachers make it out as if had they been there, they would have known exactly what it all really means. The truth of the matter, however, is that if any of us had been part of the original Jesus crew, we would have walked away scratching our heads. It's no wonder that in the story, the disciples' reaction was, um... JC, are, are you all right? You're, you're talking in parables again, and we can't understand what you're talking about, and frankly, some of us are starting to get a little uncomfortable. Hey, Jesus says, listen to me. 
I'm letting you in on the mystery, the hidden things of the kingdom. All those other people on the outside, they're only going to get the parables. And we, if we were those disciples back then, we want to say, Jesus, that don't make no sense. You know, his response about the mystery of the kingdom, the hiddenness of the kingdom, about certain things being weird and uncomfortable, it's like Jesus is saying, okay, okay, if you can get it through your thick skulls that my kingdom works in a mystery, then you will have some understanding. But if you don't get that, if you can't handle the weirdness and the discomfort and not knowing every little thing, then none of it will ever mean anything to you. There's a really easy way take this text as if Jesus is telling us we better get shaped up with our understanding of God or he is going to zap us into oblivion or to use the language of the parable itself. We better get our soil in order lest we run the risk of our seeds getting stolen or scorched or suffocated. We then naturally could hold a story like this over the heads of Christians and non-Christians alike until they shape up the way we want them to or we could even employ this parable as the means by which we let everyone know who's on the inside and who's on the outside. But notice, that's not at all what Jesus does. Jesus sees the obtuseness all around him. He witnesses the unlikelihood that anyone will ever get a glimmer of the mystery, let alone a grip on it. Hence, he ends this whole thing by saying, seeing they do not perceive, listening they do not understand. Now, I know some of you are good Bible readers. You know that right after that, he then goes into explaining the parable, though I'm not sure that's what he really does. And we're going to get there next week. But for now, I want us to just rest for a moment in the discomfort of not having all the answers, of seeing without perceiving, of listening without understanding. There's a summer camp that meets outside of Boston, Boston, Massachusetts, in which every summer students are bussed in uh, and they are brought there to confront the complications of race. Who knew there were summer camps like this? On the first night of camp, students are asked to separate into their respective races to discuss among themselves how they have experienced their own race with those who have had similar understandings. The Latinx kids go in one room, the black kids go in one room, the Asian kids go in one room, the white kids go in one room. Now, for many of the students, the sharing on that first night, it is radically life-changing. Because for many of them, it's the first opportunity they've ever had to share what it's like to be viewed by others through a racial lens. What it's like to have a prejudice dictate who people think they are. What it's like to not be like everybody else or viewed like everybody else. And after they do that with their respective races, the counselors then bring them all back together in one group. And each of the races are given a chance to stand in front of everyone else and share their truth, share what it's like to be who they are. One by one, they lift up how horribly they've been treated or what they want people to really know about them or how much it hurts to hear certain slurs. Last summer, there was only one white student who attended the camp. This camp's been going on for a while, but with each passing year, the truth spoken to white students about their whiteness has resulted in less and less white people attending. We white folk don't like being told we're white, apparently. But there was one young white woman there, and when she stood in front of the entire camp that night, this is what she said. 
I want to continuously challenge white supremacy in white spaces, and that will be uncomfortable for me. I want to be uncomfortable. I am willing to give up my comfort. Later that evening, the black students stood up to share their truth. Stop touching my hair just because you don't know what it feels like. We deserve to be paid the same as white people. Just because you say you have black friends, it doesn't mean you're not racist. There was one black girl on the stage waiting for her chance to speak. And even though she had written down things she wanted to share, she couldn't stop thinking about what the young white girl had said earlier in the evening. And so when it was her turn to speak, rather than referring to what she had written down, she said, when white people talk about what they're willing to give up, it implies that they are fine sharing a little bit of what they have, but that really they're going to be fine. It's not about what you're willing to give up. It's about what you have to give up. You have to be really uncomfortable. You have to give up what you think belongs to you simply because of the way you look. And immediately, the young white girl sitting in the attendance that night began to cry, and she ran out of the room. A well-meaning counselor ran after her, found her in the hallway, consoled her, said something like, oh, I'm sorry, it must be really difficult being the only white person here this week. And the girl looked up from her tears, and she said, yeah, but this is how people of color feel every single day. I think she was right. You really can't learn unless you're uncomfortable. So much of what Christianity, what the church has become, is focused on making people comfortable. How to tell people about Jesus without ever stepping on their toes. The fire of Pentecost, the one that sent the disciples tumbling in the streets, it can be found more in our national protests this week than in our sanctuaries on Sunday mornings. Parables are supposed to make us uncomfortable. Whether our soil is rocky or thorny or barren or even if it's good, it's supposed to make us uncomfortable. Listen, the sower never stops sowing. The sower doesn't stop to take stock of the condition of our soil's condition before offering the seeds of grace we so desperately need. The sower just keeps throwing those seeds all over the place until something comes from our nothing. Remember, when Mary was at the empty tomb, she mistook Jesus for who? The gardener. And what do good gardeners do? They till the soil They weed out the thorns, they remove the rocks, they do whatever it takes to make the best soil possible. And more often than not, that work is uncomfortable. We, in spite of all of our good works, we have shut our eyes and we have closed our ears. We've settled for milk toast sermons and milk toast churches. We like hearing about the kingdom so long as it doesn't require anything from us. It's like we're wandering around deaf and blind. Thankfully for us, Jesus likes nothing better than healing the blind and opening the ears of the deaf. We disciples of Jesus, we might not be the brightest candles in the box, but at least we know a true story when we hear one. For in this story, 
the story of a reckless sower, we are reminded yet again that God is not removed in some far off and distant place content to leave us to our own devices. No, God's kingdom is happening. It's happening right now. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Here's the best news of all. Even if we refuse to see and hear, Jesus is going to open our eyes and ears anyway, and it's probably going to be uncomfortable. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you have given to us, your servants, grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory. O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign one God forever and ever. Amen. God gathers us together. God proclaims God's word to us, and we respond to God's word. Usually we respond with the giving of ourselves, uh, but we can also uh, give with, uh, respond with the giving of our own tithes and our offerings. If you can or would like to contribute to, to the ministries of this church, you can give online using the link found in the description of the video. You can uh, give by sending a check in the mail to the church or by driving by the church. We have a drop slot down at the main office doors. Uh, give with glad and generous hearts that we might continue to do the work of God in this place, whether it means doing it online each week like we are or with the people in our immediate community. Give with glad and generous hearts. Another way that we respond to God's word for us is by affirming our faith. So as you're able, I encourage you to join me in affirming your faith using the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know the words, you can find it on the online bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each week I've been thinking about different ways for us to respond to God's word from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, and this week I'd like to offer something to you that I'm calling prayer as protest. Earlier this week, I recorded a devotional video here at the church about the power of prayer at a time like this for as Carl Barth once noted, to clasp hands together in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Some of us, no doubt, we pray with our words, but we can also pray with our feet and with our wallets. So this week, I encourage you to find ways and spaces that allow you to do the uncomfortable work of praying as protest, of doing work in such a way that allows you to see the kingdom in a seemingly God-forsaken world. That might mean simply praying, 
praying daily or once weekly, whatever it looks like, for a different world than the one we have right now. It might mean using your feet to show up to a protest march. It might mean using your wallet to donate to a bail fund. Or it might mean educating yourself in a way you haven't before by checking out a particular book or watching a particular show. Whatever it is, ultimately find a way for your prayers this week to move you and move others toward God's kingdom and not the one we have right now. With that, I'd like to offer you this final blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, the God in the, of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that no matter how bad your soil is, the sower keeps on throwing seeds and that the good gardener does what a good gardener does always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. See you next week, same time, same place. Go in peace.